0: All right, open your Bibles, if you would, to Jeremiah chapter 21. So this is, um, and and how many of you guys were here when we started Jeremiah? Oh, awesome, awesome. So there are, uh, we talked about the, the concept that during Jeremiah's reign, Jeremiah was about 21 years old when God called him. And, and, he, and he prophesies um, as the prophet in Israel for about 45 years. And at the end of that time, what happens? What happens at the end of Jeremiah? What is he prophesying about? What is coming? Babylon. Babylon. Who's their ruler? Nebi. Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is on his way. And during that season that Jeremiah was prophesying over Israel, there was a succession of these four kings. Now, it's super confusing because the Bible calls these four kings by different names: Shalom, Jehoiakin, Jehoiachin. They're all—that's all the same guy—and um, and and then the, the one of them gets captive in Egypt, and they changes his name, and it gets confusing. And so I'm confused myself. I spent all day. I, honestly, I spent more hours going through this than you know probably twice as many as I normally would on a Wednesday night study, and I'll still probably mess it up. But and, and it's not really that important that we we remember all the names and. You know, I'm not going to give you a test on it afterwards because I don't have enough red ink, but it's just, it, it is a little confusing. But here's the basic idea, is that God is going to, Jeremiah is prophesying over the season that he was in, um, in Judah during this 45 years of his prophecy, as Jeremiah was warning him, and God now is going to begin to speak to these, these four kings. Now, it started with, the first king was Josiah. You should remember that, because Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and of all the of all these kings, Josiah was the only good king. And and in Israel's history, one of the things that you study as you go through First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, is that so goes a nation as its king. And you know, if righteousness rules and a king is righteous, so so be the nation. If the king is wicked, then it follows. We we can actually kind of model that and see that in our own nation, right? Depending on who's in the White House and it dictates policies and what's going on and. Um, whether they're going to paint the White House with rainbow colors or whether they're going to reappeal um, Roe v. Wade. And, and so in Israel, it was no different. And, and unfortunately, the northern kingdom of Israel, the ten tribes to the north, and as you know, Israel was a divided kingdom, ten in the north, two in the south. We call the northern ten tribes Israel and the southern, ten, uh, the southern two tribes Judah. And in, in the southern... <coughs> In the southern tribes... We, we had good kings and bad kings, good kings. The north never had it. And for that reason, the north has already been carried off into captivity, in Assyrian captivity. And Judah is still hanging on. Then um, Nebuchadnezzar is coming. Jeremiah is prophesying. Ezekiel prophesied during this time. This is just after Isaiah. And so in these chapters that we're covering today, he's going to go through these, these four kings and what they did. Again, Josiah is, um, was the first. He was there when, when um, Jeremiah started his ministry. Josiah was... He wasn't years old when Jeremiah started but he was the king he started at 8 years old and he was the king that started revival in Israel. Do you remember the story where they, they didn't have the Torah and nobody had read it in years? And he finds a copy of the Torah and they have to dust it off. And he reads the Torah. And after reading the Torah, he repents in sackcloth and ashes and realizes how far the nation had fallen. And he started all kinds of um, spiritual and religious reforms in Israel. And he, and he got rid of idol worship. And he, he destroyed all the, the idols of Baal and all the terrible things that was going on. And, and yet the revival the people were following the the Josiah and his dictates but what we find was that in the hearts of the people of Israel the revival was very surface. It was very superficial. It was like they were they were doing it on the outside but not on the inside, you know, and that's that's Phariseeism to some degree, right? Where it's an outward form of, of righteousness without the power of God thereof. And so, you know, that's what you see in any religion and any power. And for us, it's very important. I mean, you know, obviously, I preach this to death, and this is just who we are. But the most important thing in our Christian living is relationship with Christ. Do you know Christ? Um, all right, so um, how much of these kings do you guys want to hear about? You know, I think we're just going to pick them up as we get them. Um, there's a couple cool little nuances in here with these kings that we'll, we'll try to highlight. Let's let's look at. I'm going to try to get through three chapters in 25 minutes. So some of it I'll just be reading tonight because we're going to get through it. Um, it says in verse 21. Then the word, uh, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord when King Zedekiah sent to him Pasher, the son of Milcah and Zephaniah the son of Masiei priest, saying. Now this now that word there, Pasher, look look at um, chapter 20, and in the first verse of 20, our second verse, it's it's the same Pasher, but it's a different guy. They're two different people. One is the son of Melchah, the other one was the son of Immer. And so um, and then we have the first king that's mentioned here, Zedekiah. But Zedekiah is not the one that followed Josiah. Zedekiah was the last king. Um, that was carried into Babylon, and you could read about zedekiah 's story in second kings twenty five seven i think i 've already highlighted it, so write that down second kings twenty five seven Zedekiah. Um, what was you know he was the one who was in power when Nebuchadnezzar took them all into Babylon and they killed Nebuchadnezzar killed Zedekiah it's recorded in Kings 25 killed his two sons in front of him and gouged out his eyes so that the last thing he would see is his sons dying and then they brought him into captivity in Babylon there's a a little um, you know it's 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 just God's word is so powerful and so true. But in Ezekiel, Ezekiel is prophesying about Zedekiah. And Ezekiel says this in Ezekiel 12, verse 13. He says, I will also spread my net over him, and he shall be caught in my snare. And I will bring him to Babylon, to the land of the Chaldeans. Yet he will not see it, though he shall die there. Now, um, Ezekiel is saying that he's not going to see Babylon. And so some took that as he's, he's not going to Babylon. He's not going to see it. And then when you go to Jeremiah, Jeremiah says, you are going to Babylon. And some would look at that and go, oh, there you go. The Bible's contradicting itself. But it was, both were true. Both prophets were speaking the truth. And Ezekiel said that he's not going to see it. He didn't say he wasn't going to go there. He said he's not going to see it. And Jeremiah said, you're going to see it. And so the way it played out years later was that he, they gouged his eyes out. So he went to Babylon, but he didn't get to see it. And so both prophecies are true. And obviously, let every man be a liar and the the Lord true. And so, um, and then in Jeremiah 32, 1 through 5 is is that prophecy of Jeremiah. And I'll read that to you really quickly. Jeremiah 32, 5. the word the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the in the year of Zedekiah king of of Judah which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar For then the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the prison, which was in the king of Judah's house. For Zedekiah, king of Judah, had shut him up saying, why do you prophesy and say, thus says the Lord? Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon and he shall take it. And Zedekiah, the king of Judah, shall not escape from the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon and shall speak with him face to face. And see him eye to eye. So that was the, um, you know, the, the seeming contradiction that he did see him and he did face him, but couldn't see him because he didn't have any eyes. And actually, King Neb put out his eyes. So I guess he saw him before his eyes were put out. And then in verse number three, back in 21, it says, Then Jeremiah said to them, Thus you shall say to Zedekiah. So again, the Lord is going to be speaking and prophesying basically doom over these successive kings, all bad. Uh, um, let, let me wrap up Josiah really quickly, I'm sorry. Um, Josiah, who was a good king, made a bad decision in his life, and he, I guess, kind of full of pride. You can read about it in Second Chronicles 35, verses 20 and 21, and it tells the story of how Josiah ended. And Josiah... Um, there was a war between the Egyptians and um, the Assyrians and Babylonians. And Josiah wanted to fight against um, Egypt. And so he goes down and the Egyptian king is trying to talk him out of it. Actually, I better read it because it's kind of cool. Um, Second Chronicles 35. It says, after all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho. Everybody say Necho. King of Egypt came up to fight against the Carchemish by the Euphrates, and Josiah went out against him. But he sent a messenger to him saying, "Why, why what have I to do with you, King of Judah? I have no, not come against you this day, but against the house which i which I have war which, which, with which I have war, for God commanded me to make haste, refrain from meddling with God who who is with me, lest he destroy you. Now, now, how crazy is this? He's giving him a chance to live, that the Egyptian king is telling the Hebrew king that God is with me, the Egyptian, and don't meddle with God you know it's wild it's it, it's it's again how how Israel had just been in this place and we've talked about it week after week how far Israel had fallen from walking with the lord and you know jeremiah got to the point remember he said the heart is desperately wicked and 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 above all things who can know it you know the depravity of man's heart and we see it on display so Josiah he he just wants to fight i don't know he wants the glory and and even the 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 pagan king and oftentimes god uses Pagans, I remember the Hebrews were complaining, like, why are you using pagans? I know we're bad, but the pagans are worse. And God is using the pagans to judge his own people. And you, you see it repeated in Israel's history several times. And here's a case where, you know, the, the Egyptian king is trying to talk some sense into him. And so Josiah goes down to the battle, and he, he, he dresses up like he hides himself so that they don't know it's King Josiah. And, and, a, and a wayward arrow comes and pierces him. And he's wounded, and his, and his men carry him off in a chariot, and eventually he gets back to Jerusalem where he dies from his wounds. But, you know, he, he was never called. Listen, if, if you're burning out, are you, are you like, you know, we just talked about that, right? Like serving the Lord and, and around here where we're going to be, you know, needing people to, to, to really step up and carry more weight to help us grow and to help us reach more people for Tooele County. But when you have burnout in ministry or if a pastor has burnout or, um, you know, what did Jesus say about his burden and his yoke? He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so with Josiah, the, the king said, don't meddle. And, and then, you know, with, with us, listen, if we're being burned out, I promise you it's because we're taking on responsibility that God never gave us. We're, we're, we're trying to do two things. We're taking on things and wanting to do things that, that God never called us or asked us to do, and they're, and they're difficult. Or we're trying to do things in the flesh that God's not in, and we're, we're, we're doing things in the flesh. You know, otherwise, I remember, you know, I think Keaton shared it one time. He, he shared, um, and he taught for me on a, on a Wednesday or a Sunday, and him and I had a conversation. And, you know, he was having a hard time, and he was telling me, and he used those words, it's hard, it's hard. And I said, I said, no, it's not hard. Jesus said, you know, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Not hard. You know, and, and again, so that, that's the thing. You know, if, if you're feeling burned out or ministry's burning you out, you know, get alone with Jesus and, and and find out really from the Lord what you're supposed to be doing, what you're not supposed to be doing. And uh, anything that God calls us to, he's going to take care of us. So that was, um, unfortunately, Josiah's um, End. He died in this battle. The Egyptians were fighting somebody else. He showed up. And then um, Jehoiah has and again he goes by Shalom In the next verse we're going to see this king Jehoiah has um, Shalom. He takes over um, in in Josiah's stead and then he only lasted three months because the Egyptian, um, the Egyptians were in power at that time and so they deposed him because he was rebelling against Egypt and, and then he was replaced um, by Jeconiah, and, the, and God called him Kaniah. He's also called, called Jehoiachin. And then, and then in a minute, we're going to get to Jehoiakim, and then we have Zedekiah. So those are the kings that um, were there. And so Josiah's son is Jehoiakim. He had two sons, um, Kaniah and Zedekiah. You guys ready for the test? And then Zedekiah rebelled against Egypt, and... Um, um, he was, then again, three months, and he was deposed. A couple of these guys only lasted three months. Um, one of them um, lasted 11 years, but he was a, he was a terrible king. Um, that's Jehoiakim. All right, let's go to verse number f- 5, 4. We are jamming, boy. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I will turn back the, r- the weapons of war that are... Oh, I didn't just do that. All right. Just pretend it didn't happen. I'll leave it there. There we go. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I will turn back the weapons of war that are in your hands, of which you fight against the kings of Babylon and the Chaldeans, whose besiege you outside. And the walls I will assemble them in the midst of the city. I myself will fight against you with an outstretched hand and with a strong arm, even in anger and fury and great wrath. So again, just on and on and on and on again as Jeremiah's... You know, not the most encouraging stage of Israel's life. And, you know, we, we sing songs, our God will fight for us. And, you know, the battle belongs to the Lord. And, you know, that's our mantra, right? That you show up and God will fight for you. And that's, that's the heart of the Lord. And, that's, and the Bible says that, that the Lord will fight for you. The battle belongs to the Lord. And yet we come to this place and God says not only will he, he's going to fight against them, And I never want to be in a place where God is fighting against me or I'm fighting against the Lord. It's much easier just to surrender my will to Him and be clay that He can mold and shape. Amen? And then it says, um, And I will strike the inhabitants of this city, both man and beast, and they shall die of great pestilence. What always follows war? Pestilence. And afterwards, says the Lord, I will deliver Zedekiah, king of Judah, his servants, and his city from the pestilence and the sword and the famine into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. So God says, I'm going to keep Zedekiah, and, and, and I'm going to keep him from getting sick so that Nebuchadnezzar can have him. You know, and he's going to turn him over. And again, so bad, right? So so scary. And Nebuchadnezzar is going to be turned over Nebuchadnezzar into the hand of the enemies. Do you remember when David well, was, had sinned, and, he, and the Lord came to him through the prophet, and he gave him a choice that he could he could he could turn him over to one of the pagan kings or and and David chose and the other the other punishment was coming directly from God and the and David chose the punishment that that God would kill so many in his you guys remember that story? no all right never mind moving on but yeah Dave, basically David chose rather to to let the Lord judge him than to have pagans or his enemies judge him because they might ha- not have mercy And into the hand of those who seek their life, and he shall strike them with the edge of the sword, and he shall not spare them or have pity or mercy. And that's the idea, is that they won't have pity or mercy, but the Lord has mercy. now. And that's why God is turning them over. Now you shall say to this people, thus says the Lord, behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. Listen, this, this is true of your life and my life today. You know what God has set before each one of you? The way of life and the way of death. You know, who? How do you know, or who who decides whether you go to heaven or not? You do. Who who decides whether you live a life that leads to life or live a life that leads to death? You do. You know, and the Bible says that, you know, Jesus said in one of the parables, to some I give 30-fold blessing, to some 60-fold, to some 100-fold blessing. And, you know, I remember, I remember uh, reading that and being like, you know, I was a young, aspiring Bible college student, young pastor. I'm like, Lord, I want a hundredfold blessing. How do I get a hundredfold blessing? And I hope you chose me for a hundredfold blessing. Like, how did you decide, Lord, what, do you, what do, you, do you, how do you pick who gets 30, 60, 100? You know, you guys have heard me say this. I see you guys shaking your head at me that, you know, and God finally told me years later, I don't decide. You decide. You decide what you want. James said, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. And so God has given us a choice, you know. And, and, and you know, people, it, it, does it baffle you? It baffles me after so long. Like, you know, who would choose death? But people do, right? Like, and, and for nothing. There's a story. I don't think it's a true story, but it's an analogy story or a parable type of story. It's in a, a, a magazine called Pulpit Helpers, like analogies and stories. But it says that there's a king, um, there's, a, there's a place in Africa where they, they have a, the king, and he, ru- he rules for seven years. And in that seven years, he has no rules. Nothing is withheld from him. He's, he's a God king for seven years. No pleasures are withheld. No, anything he wants to do, is, is he's a God king. But at the end of the seven years, they kill him, and they elect a new king, and they kill the, the old one. And the only rule, they have one rule. You don't get to change the rule. You don't get to change the death rule. And so you think, who, who would do that? Would you, would you want to trade, live seven years? You can live seven years as a God king on earth and all the pleasures you want. But at the end of that seven years, you die. And yet, that, that's how so many people live their lives. Die, in, you, know, a, a, you know, and not, not, not like, oh, now you get to die and go to heaven. No, that's not. Like, and, and that's really the, the idea is that, you know, people are willing to trade. Seven years of pleasure for, for an eternity separated from God, and they choose death over life. In verse nine it says, "He who remains in this city, he who remains in this city shall die by the sword, by famine, by pestilence, but he who goes out and defects to the Chaldeans, who besieges you, he shall live, and his life shall be a prize to him. For I have set my face against the city for adversity and not for good, says the Lord. And it shall be given to the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. Um, may the Lord make his face shine upon you, is the ironic the blessing, part of the ironic blessing. And here's, here the Lord says, my face is going to shine upon you, but not for good. In verse 11 it says in concerning the house of the king of judah say hear the word of the lord o house of david thus says the lord execute judgment in the morning and deliver him who is plundered out of the hand of the oppressor lest my fury go forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings behold i am against you o inhabitants of the valley of the rock of the plain says the lord who says who shall come down against us or who shall enter our dwellings but I will punish you according to the fruit of your doings. And so um, there, there's, you know, it's, a, it's been a theme lately that I've been preaching about because we run into it in Hebrews 11 where we camped out for the last couple weeks. Um, one of the things that I've encouraged us in all the time is that it's, it's good and it's okay as Christ followers to, to work for a reward in heaven, to be motivated even by a reward in heaven. That we don't have to feel ashamed or that it's a bad motivation that I'm doing this because I'm trying to earn something for myself in heaven. That's a good motivation. It's okay. It's, it's a noble motivation because Jesus used it to motivate you. So if Jesus used it to motivate you, you know, it's okay that, you know, I am. Jesus said store up for yourself treasures in heaven where rust don't break in and moths don't, um, where moths do, won't do what? Eat it. And so just as much as the Bible teaches that there's varying levels of reward in heaven, the Bible also talks about where there's different degrees of hell as well. And so, you know, that there's hotter spots, you know, and I guess it's God's justice that, and God is a God of justice, right? And so for, you know, I guess I, you don't want to be anywhere near where Hitler's at. You know, I'm sure some of those spots are reserved for, the worst spots, but here's what God says: I will punish you according to the fruit of your doings. You know, and it, and again, it's so upside down, man. I, 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 we've been there enough. I'm ready to get through some of this because it's so upside down, right? I'm going to punish you for the fruit of your doings. And what is the what does God say in the New Testament? What is God's will for the Christ follower? Is that He's going to bless you for your for for bearing fruit for Him, and and your whole life is designed and intended to bear fruit for God. Amen. In verse, um, the rest of the 14, I will kindle a fire in its forest, and it shall devour the things all around it. Hey, Amber, will you bring me a towel, please, out of the cafe? Or I spilled some ice up here. Thus says the Lord, go down to the house of the king of Judah, and there speak his word. And say, hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, you who sit on the throne of David, you and your servants and your people who enter the gates. Thus says the Lord. Execute judgment and righteousness and deliver the plunder out of the hand of the oppressor. Do no wrong and do not and do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless or the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. So God's mercy is still on the innocent. And he says, you know, it's two things that are near and dear to God's heart. They're mentioned multiple times in the Bible. It's the fatherless and the widow Um, in Psalm chapter um 68 I should just have this verse memorized it's like a life verse in psalm 68 actually I do have it memorized God is a father to the fatherless and a defender of the widow but um when I when I first got saved it was before I went to bible college I was I was reading an NIV bible and um if you guys know my testimony my dad died when I was a year old um I have uh eight seven brothers and sisters there's eight of us all together um and, and you know, my mom never remarried. My mom didn't actually start dating, you know, until my, my younger sister was 17 years old. And she's, she's the baby. And, um, you know, and I grew up. So I grew up with a single mom. No, you know, I didn't have stepdads. My mom didn't even have boyfriends and didn't bring people in the house. And I'm so grateful for the sacrifice that my mom made for all of us because of the, just the, you know, the dangers and the evils of, of you know, rotating doors and somebody, you know, And all those things. But at the same time, you know, not having a dad, you, when when, you know, for me, and I think it's the same experience across the board, but my dad died when I was young, but I still had the same kind of, like, abandonment feelings. I was bitter at my dad. I hated him. Like, I felt like he left me. Like, you know, like... He, he walked out on us. They had the same feeling, the same experience, you know. And so when I, when I became a Christian and, and now I have a good, good father and I'm building this relationship with God and God is. And in that season, you guys know my testimony, you know, it was a powerful season, a life-changing season where God was really um, doing extra for me um, at that time, pulling me out of the world. And part of what God was doing was he was teaching me the love of Christ. Um, yeah. Well, I'll just, all I probably really need to do is get the ice. I'm not to worry about the water. We'll get that later. But I'll take maybe just take these papers. No, I don't deserve water after that. Yeah. All right, thanks. All right, sorry. So, so again, you know, the Bible says this. It's the love of Christ that compels us. You know, it's the goodness of God in another place. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. You know, and I remember, you know, knowing hell, people tell me you're going to go to hell if you continue in that sin and I didn't want to go to hell but as as a non-believer it, it, it did I didn't believe it enough it didn't scare me enough that it led me to Christ and, and again you know I definitely don't want to go to hell but it wasn't enough of a motivation to, to for me to change my life and and to change the lifestyle that I was living but what was enough of motivation and what really did change my life was the love of Christ and God was pouring out his love, and he was telling you I love, and he gave me this verse in those early days. And I can remember the first time, like, reading this verse, and God, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to me. And God says, I'm, I'm a father of the fatherless and a defender of the widows, and my mom is a widow, and I'm fatherless, and, and, I, and I'm just remembering back. I mean, honestly, when I, you know, the Bible says, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. That God loved you. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit was alongside me, calling me and drawing me all those years. And I could go back and I could see, you know, times where God literally did miracles to save my life, to keep me from things. And he had a plan for me. And even though I was walking in, in sin, that I, that he was my father. And to know, like, the, the the comfort that it brought me to know that God was my father and especially, you know, a young man with with daddy issues and you know abandonment feelings and and so encouraging and listen God is a father to all of us you know he is a father for you and ultimately he, he he is our father right and so that that's just super encouraging that God is a father of the fatherless and a defender of the widows and then you know just because God is so good when I met Lydia you know I called Gerald dad you know every once in a while somebody say is that your dad or you know, said well it's technically my father-in-law but but he's like a dad to me, so I call him dad. You know, and I didn't right away. It wasn't like when I first, you know, we first got married even. It was years later um, that, that God then put a, you know, a, a father in skin in my life too to be a father to me and be the father I never had. And, and God, God is just so good and so loving. But, again, the point being that it's the love of God, right? And, and we got to find a way as Christians, you know. We, we need to be able to tactfully and lovingly um, address sin, you know, we, we 100% can never be affirming of anybody's sins. I was in Apple. Um, did, did I tell you guys this story last week? I'm just now thinking I did. No, you guys wouldn't remember anything. You've got to remember anything I say. <laughs> um, and, and the sales lady, she knew I was a pastor. And so she she's an interesting lady. I, I hope she watches this. No, I'm just kidding. Um, she, she said to me, um, she's like, I have a church, but it's far away, you know, it's far from my house, and I was telling about Calvary Chapel in Murray, and I said, is that any closer, I don't know where she lives and stuff, but I don't know hard she drives, and if that was closer, and to go to Calvary Chapel, Murray, and then she's like, Oh, my gosh. She's like, I I, I went on tour with Corey Asbury last month. I, I like, followed him, like, three nights in a row to his concert. And it was like, I was just, you know, loving life for three nights on this little mini vacay I went to and just worshiping the Lord. And and she was just, you know, and I'm like, oh, cool, you know. And then so I was telling her about, you know, because she asked me, you know, and she was looking for a church that was closer. And so and then just abruptly, she says, well, what do you think about trans people? And I said, you know, and I I told her, I said, I said, well, that, you know, I I said, it's sin. And she said, well, what if they're born that way? And I said, well, that's easy. Jesus said, you have to be born again anyways. So if you're born with sin, you have to be born again into the, into the nature of Christ. And, and God didn't make mistakes. And, oh, she's like, oh, you see, I just, that's why I can't, you know, that's why, you know, and it's like. And then on and on and on, and, and, I, and I, you know, it's, we're, we're doing sales and we're trying to be amicable, so it's not really like we're sitting down and, and having this conversation, so, you know, but I, I, I just said to her, I said, you know, f- oh, I said, I said, you know, you just, I said, why don't you read what, what the Bible says and let the Bible speak for itself about that issue? Oh, well, we're supposed to love, and I said, absolutely, we're supposed to love, but we're not supposed to affirm I said, what if, what if your husband was, um, she, oh, she's like, oh, I'm divorced. He was he was abusive. And I said, well, what if your abusive husband came to me and I told him, hey, it's okay to beat your wife. Jesus loves you. You know, it's okay to sleep around with other women and you're married. Jesus loves you. It's okay. God understands. You know, you were born that way. And, um, you know, but what I didn't get to was I left there. You know, it's always when you leave, you're like, oh, I should have said. You know, but but all the things she was saying was just, it was just evidence of a simple fact: she didn't know Jesus, and that's what I didn't didn't get to at the very crux of it. I should have said, "Do do you know Jesus intimately and personally?" And she probably would have uh, affirmed she did. And, and then and then I and I gave her the decei- deceived speech. I did get to that point, point. and I said, "I said, well, the Bible clearly says." I said six times in the New Testament, the Bible says that anybody who practices unrepentant um, these practicing unrepentant sins will not inherit the kingdom of god so if the new testament says six times i said jesus talked more about hell than heaven and oh you shouldn't judge and i gave her the whole judge speech i said well actually jesus said we're supposed to judge he said i'm not supposed to judge unrighteously i'm not supposed to judge i don't know who goes to heaven and who goes to hell because people can get saved on their deathbed even if they didn't have any fruit and lived a a particular lifestyle they could so we're not supposed to judge who goes